Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Today will be the first installment of the series that we'll call Here Comes the Dreamer. And we're talking about, of course, Joseph. But as I prepared for this, I had I started one place and the Lord kept bringing me back even farther. And what I've arrived at is that you can't sufficiently tell the story of Joseph without telling the story of Jacob. The family dynamics and the family background are absolutely key to why Joseph is the way he is and why things play out the way that they do for him. So we're going to make it our goal today to better understand some key moments in the story of Jacob and in the story of Israel that have a tremendous impact on Joseph becoming Joseph. All right, so um, let us pray and then we'll get right into it. Okay, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we are so grateful for your presence in our lives. We're so grateful for this time today. Lord, thank you, Father, for the fathers of faith, the ones who came before us. Lord, that we who can say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we can say it because you are our God too. And that's our divine lineage. Lord, thank you for the examples before us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the victorious, hallelujah, and even the defeats, hallelujah, that brought these great um, characters, these people in the Bible to their knees and to you and to humility and ultimately to great success and victory. God, I pray that everyone here today, Lord, that they'll hear the word, that they'll understand it, that, Father, the hearts here are good ground, Lord, that the ears here are open, that the minds here are ready to receive your words and your truth. Holy Spirit, I give you all of me, and I yield all of me to all of you. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. amen. Glory to God. So we're talking about Jacob. Right. Um, and we're talking about Jacob as a prequel to Joseph. So here comes the dreamer is the series. But today we're talking about a father's dream. Tell somebody it's about a father's dream. Father's dream. So we're just going to get right to it. Turn with me to Genesis 31 and start. And I got. I got my device and my two good Bibles. I got my, my New Living Translation and I got my ESV because um, I love the way that Genesis 31 reads in New Living Translation. And we know that ESV is the standard of the house, but we also know Courtney loves NLT. <laughs> Amen. Um, and there's a place for it, um, for um some other translations sometimes. Amen. It's all God's word and it's good. But I really like the way that the New Living Translation paints the picture of what's happening here in Genesis 31. It's a climax. You know, it's a buildup. It's actually like the, like there was a mini buildup, but then here's this real, this scene where 
we don't just see these two characters in Jacob and Laban coming to, uh, <laughs> you know, a come to Jesus moment, <laughs> uh, almost literally. But we also hear the review of everything that's happened and the impacts, and we get a full understanding just of how difficult Jacob has had it. So we're going to start here at 31, verse 1. Okay, and I'm going to... Actually, are we starting at verse 1? Yeah. Y'all, please, you know, let me... This is going to be a lot of reading here, but I feel like it's important. Verse 1, but Jacob soon learned. Well, let's, let's even take it back up to, into 30. Um... Verse 43 says this, as a result, and this is talking about Jacob's wealth increasing because of an arrangement he made with Laban, right? As a result, Jacob became very wealthy with large flocks of sheep and goats, female and male servants, and many camels and donkeys. But Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. Verse four. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock. He said to them, I have noticed that your father's attitude toward me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. The God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I've worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages 10 times, but God has not allowed him to do me any harm. We're gonna go uh, move on down to verse 10. One time during the mating season, I had a dream. Somebody say, I had a dream. And saw that male goats mating with the females were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob. And I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up and you will see that the only streaked, speckled, and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I have seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. And I want to stop right there. So what we see here is in the telling of these things, as we get to this moment of climax, that there's a review. Jacob has been mistreated by Laban. Jacob is now experiencing some hate from Laban's sons, his brothers-in-law, and from Laban himself, not necessarily hate, but there's a change in the attitude. Something has changed. They acting funny, all right, okay? And now he's recounting to his wives as he's setting up what he's about to do and explaining to him how things are about to change very drastically. He's taking them back to a dream. And in the dream he's telling them about, God reminds him of a moment that happened when he was on the way there to them 20 years earlier. Okay, it's a lot to review here if you don't know this story, but I promise it's going to be easy to follow. And if nothing else, we will whet your appetite to get in your Bible this week 
to learn um, how all of this really works out. But this is a quick review. So verse 14, Rachel and Leah responded, that's fine with us. We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyway. He has reduced our rights to those of foreign women. After he sold us, he wasted the money you paid him for us. We see here the original Bridgerton, okay? The original. It was going down in the land of Haran. It was going down over in the so, the so, you know, just so we, okay, we can catch up those of you who haven't caught up yet. Laban tricked Jacob, who was named Jacob because literally the trickster, the cheater. You talk about someone in Reaping, Frank. He sold some things and he had to run away from his home country. And we're, we're going to go there in a moment, too. And he found himself in a place where the one who was doing the getting was now getting got. Laban pulled one, two and 10, 20 on, over on his son-in-law, Jacob. He tricked him into marrying Leah. Then he had him marry Rachel, the one he really wanted, made him work 14 years for the both of them. You got two sisters who are at odds with each other all the time using Jacob as a baby making machine <laughs> with themselves and their maids because they're trying to keep up with each other in the same household. Okay, then you've got you've got Laban saying, okay, when Jacob was ready to leave, he said, look, I got all these children. By this time, he had 10, 10 or 11 children at that point. He said, and I still don't run my own household. I'm still your slave. It's been 14 years. Let's make this arrangement. I don't need anything from you. But if you can just give me the cattle that you don't want anyway, I'm going to make something out of them because, and he's saying this to himself, God is with me. The God of my father, the God of my grandfather is with me. And I may not be really walking with God, but I know that when he's with me, I, there, there's, some, there's some benefits. There's some growth, right? So, <laughs> y'all following. So, he says to Laban, give me these, give, give me the ones you don't want, the speckled, the spotted, the striped. And then, and then the, that dream, that's where he got the download. This is what's going to happen. If you do that, then they're going to make, and that's where this abundant and this, this abundance and this wealth has come from that now has the brothers-in-law and Laban himself looking at him sideways. So he's breaking it down to his wives. But what I love here is in their response to him, they're like, look, let's do it. Let's do exactly as you said, because he's not doing us right either. Just, and then they agree on that at least because they've disagreed on everything else. Okay, and so we get here to verse 16. All the wealth God has given you from our father legally belongs to us and our children. Now look here. <laughs> we with you, husband, but we're only with you because everything you got is because of us anyway. It's some stuff going on in this family. It's a soap opera, it's a drama. <laughs> It's a drama. So go ahead and do whatever God has told you. Verse 17. So Jacob put his wives and children on camels and he drove all his livestock in front of him. He packed all of his belongings and then he left. OK, and then we're going to speed down to verse 21. So Jacob took all his possessions with him and crossed the Euphrates River heading for the hill country 
of Gilead. Now you talking about there's a bomb in Gilead. Homeboy is free. After 20 years of slave labor to someone who got the best of him. But we really can't be mad and Jacob can't either because he sold that, didn't he? He sold that. Let's go to Genesis 26. Excuse me. No, let's go to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, 25. Let's go to Genesis 25, 19. When you've got it, say I've got it. Okay, so we're going to go for it. Verse 19, this is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. When Isaac was 40 years old, he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Laban, the sister of Laban. Yeah, okay, you're following how this, his, this all has played out, but we're going back now to his birth. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. Now we see this a lot. We see in the grandfather, Abraham, that Sarah couldn't conceive. And we also saw that Sarah did some stuff to try to rush God out of season and ended up with Ishmael. All right, let's continue with verse 21. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. Say double for your trouble. <laughs> Amen. Ha ha. But the two children, but, and this won't be your story. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? One translation says, you know, am I dying? Why am I about to die? When you, you know, or something along those lines. Verse 23, and the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other and your older son will serve your younger son. Verse 24, and when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him Esau. Then the other twin, somebody said the other twin, was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Right. They named him Jacob. So if you have a footnote or an asterisk or something there, if you look down, it says Jacob sounds like the Hebrew words for heel and deceiver. Some translations say the cheater. Some say the trickster. But at any point from birth, he was given this identity of someone who supplants, someone who tries to take something that doesn't belong to them. Now, I looked at this passage and I'm going to move out of the NLT because I do want to stay as much as I can with the, the um, standard of the house in the ESV. So I'm going to continue there. But this is what I want to note about Rebecca, Jacob's mother. She was having trouble. She was sick. They prayed before she got pregnant and she conceived, but then there was this wrestling going on inside her to the point that she thought she was going to die. And so she asked the Lord, come on, Lord, what, what's going on here? And when he told her that he, she had two 
peoples or two nations struggling in her womb. I'm wondering, and the Bible is silent on this, but we do know that when words God is going to come to pass regardless. But it seems that Rebecca got set in her mind that she was going to do certain things to help stuff along. What was going to happen was going to happen, whether or not she raised her son to be a cheater. But that's what she did. She groomed him to be a cheater. And then the other question I asked myself was, I wonder if Rebecca ever told Isaac what the Lord told her. The Bible is silent on that. But we know from Isaac's response or behavior, I should say, in interactions with his son that she obviously didn't tell him because he went along with the cultural norm and he favored the older son. They also said he liked his meat because, he, you know, he liked to eat his meat and Esau was a hunter, but he favored him. And if he had known, if he had heard the same thing from the Lord or if she had shared with him what she had heard from the Lord, things might have been a little bit different. So here is Rebecca holding a secret from her husband about a son not coming together as two parents to think about the best way to raise both of these children, right? But in her secret silo, trying to work it out so that she's on top with the one who is stronger. Maybe, possibly in competition with her husband, and definitely not giving Esau what he needs as her mother, as his mother. Just some things that I think about, because y'all know I go, I go in. Amen. I do. But the Bible is silent on these things. But I believe we have to consider what is revealed by Rebecca's character, or at least her motives, based on her reactions to this insight. Because she decided to love and prefer Jacob. Now, I know that in Romans and in Malachi, we see this, especially in light of election, that Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. But one thing I want to submit to you, and I'm jumping around in this story, but this is really the overview. In the next messages, we'll go deeper and make sure that those of you who are, you know, missing out on some of this get caught up. But one of the things that really struck me in this whole drama prior to us getting to Joseph is Leah who was hated, but yet the Lord made her fruitful. So I like to think about Esau being hated as being but for a moment. And I have scripture to back that up too. So let's keep going. Let's keep going. Is this all right this morning? Did I get too deep too soon? All right, so let's keep going. Let's go deeper. All right, so now we're gonna move forward with um, in, in Genesis um, 25 here, right? Or 20, yeah, we were in 25. Okay, let's move up actually to 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out in the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. In other words, son, you know just how I like it. Go ahead and do that and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Before we go on there, keep your finger at chapter 27. 
Let's jump back to chapter 25, the end of it. Verse 29. This is Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that stew for I'm exhausted. And it goes down to verse 32. I am about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Oh, I skipped verse 31. That's important. Sell me your birthright now for this pot of stew. And then verse 34, we're jumping back down. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and little stew and he ate and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So when I talk about Rebecca grooming this cheater, this trickster, what has played out, what we see from the time he was born, well, even before that, from the time she received the word from God to the time he was born to even this moment, we see him operating just the way that he was named. When she came to him, she didn't say he was going to trick his way into being stronger. Right. right. So there's some human engineering that still couldn't get in the way of the will of God. That somebody will catch that one day um, on their way out of here, maybe. <laughs> but now I want to go back to chapter 27, verse five. Going back to Rebecca with her crafty self. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother. And then I'm just going to go ahead and, and summarize what happens next. She says, look, I'll make the food. You're going to go in there and pretend like you're him and you're going to get the blessing. He got the blessing. And then, then and he gets this wonderful blessing um, in verse 27. Um, 27B says this, see the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. That's the blessing that Jacob received um, that he tricked himself into receiving, right? That he and his mother engineered. They were supposed to go to Esau, but really it came to him because he tricked his dad. But in verse 39, after Esau is saying, look, can, don't you have anything you can bless me with? Because, you know, Isaac is saying, look, I already gave it to your brother. I don't have anything else that I can give you. So he's, he, he finally comes to him with this. He's in 39. He says, behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high. Now, it sounds like a curse. All right. Verse 40, by your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So the reason that I say that Esau was hated for a moment is that there is a yoke breaking happening here. I don't know about you, but I think about the great yoke breaker. I think about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The one who destroys yokes and lifts burdens. Hallelujah. Coming through for, I, for Esau and coming through for you and me. Amen. Hallelujah. So one thing about God is he's timeless. So if he hated Esau at one time, you know, it, that's not for all time. 
All right, I'm gonna get in trouble with some theologians if they ever hear this, but I don't care. I'm writing a book anyway. So, Rebecca makes a choice to parent according to her own understanding. That was not anointed parenting. It was informed to a point, but carried out in a way that I don't think was really necessary. I'm coming for somebody today. I actually was concerned that the kids were going to remain, but now I think it's a great blessing. They need to hear this message too. We see some behavior from the fathers and the sons and the mothers. We see some things here happening in a family dynamic that is creating a scene for all kinds of chaos for generations. So Esau dishonors his birthright, giving Jacob the opportunity to cheat him. We think about that word that she got, that one would be stronger. We see that Esau has some weakness. He doesn't see or value things. He's a little bit gullible, you know, not even seeing the threat and not even honoring what he's been given and born into to just, you know, give it away for a pot of stew. And then we see Rebecca working her plot and telling Jacob exactly what to do to be deceitful. God said what he was going to do. He didn't necessarily need Rebecca to play this particular role. I'm gonna say that again. God said what he was going to do. He didn't necessarily need Rebecca to play this particular role, but this is a choice that she made. And in spite of her, God still had his way. I'm going to let that marinate. And I say that even though Rebecca was crafty, I'm not trying to make her out to be a complete villain in this. We've got a lot of people in this scene making decisions that impact what happens. Esau giving up his birthright. Jacob being who he was trained and named to be. Isaac, who is just blind, literally and figuratively. A father who is not seeing. Who can't see. A mother who isn't really seeing clearly. Either. And these children ending up being the way that they are. And then some would argue, well, God said it was going to be like that. They were going to be at odds. But because of Rebecca's crafty plan, Jacob got away with the blessing. And Jacob had to leave his family. And he ended up with Laban, her brother. So this craftiness that was in Rebecca, we see multiplied in Laban, her brother, the one she was raised with. So that craftiness, that, that, that thing that we're seeing, it seems to be, it would seem to me, the Bible is silent on it, but we have receipts to show that Laban and Rebecca may have been raised to do things in the most dishonest way. So it also seems that Esau 
never was equipped to carry himself with the duty or honor necessary to be the firstborn in that family. So he didn't need to be tricked out of something he wasn't carrying anyway. I said he never had, he was never a threat. So we see some other things that happen here in Genesis um, 25, 26, 27, 28. We see that Esau is getting angry and wants to kill his brother for taking his birthright and his blessing. And that's when Rebecca says, go to my brother and I'll come for you when it's safe, when your brother has calmed down. But then this is what Esau does. Oh, y'all sent him to marry our cousin? Well, then I'm going to go marry our other cousin. It becomes this tit for tat. And so by the time that Jacob finds himself with his uncle and his cousins, he finds himself going from a dysfunctional sibling relationship to being set right in the middle of two dysfunctional siblings as his wives. So when I say that Jacob reaped, he reaped. <laughs> he reaped. And another thing that I want to note here, if we go back to, I don't want to keep reading scriptures. Just believe me, believe me when I say it and read it later. I, I, you can read this and you'll see this. Believe me when I say that it was a total change of, it, was a, it was just a drastic change from his life with his parents and his brother to his life with Laban and the people in that hill country. The, the scriptures say that Jacob had smooth skin and was a tent dweller. He wasn't out in those fields like Esau was. So the life for this tent dwelling mama's boy with smooth skin and soft hands sets off for a land where he goes into two decades of working with his hands, toiling in the soil, dealing with cattle. That wasn't who he was. That wasn't how he was. But in order to survive, there was a total shift. And because of his lies and deception, Jacob's world is turned upside down when he meets his match in his maternal uncle Laban and his cousins. What we see here so far is a family divided on both sides that started within some of the closest familial relationships you can have. A mother and son versus a father and son, a brother versus brother, a twin versus twin. It doesn't get any closer than, than being baked in the womb together. And they're at odds. And then Jacob has to leave the family, the only family he knows behind. No matter what, family is family, good, bad, and ugly. Not only was he leaving the only family he knew, but with those dynamics and maybe not really understanding how things really should be, he was being sent to start his own family. She didn't just say, get away from here, you know, let it cool down and come back. She said, go get a wife. So in other words, this mother 
who named and trained a trickster who has not really equipped him with any <laughs> functional family, um, like, like the, the, a way to, to, um, to live and lead in a family, so to speak, is now teaching him with this stuff that she's given him and put in him to go start this. So there, there, there is a recipe, there's a setting for generational chaos. The scene is set for dysfunction to become a cycle of dysfunction. But then Jacob has a dream. And he makes a commitment to the Lord at the end of Genesis 28. So I want to go there. So the title of this message, as we said, is A Father's Dream. So we saw one dream he had when we started in the middle of his, um, the, the, be the, begin the middle of the beginning of the end for his time with Laban. But he had a dream. And let's go to Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. That's where he was headed to meet his wife and his uncle or future wives and uncle. Verse 11, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Hallelujah. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in his place and I did not know it. He got a dream and a promise. He got a blessing and all this stuff before he was even really walking anything. Now, notice that God introduced himself as the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. What has not happened yet, if I can say it this way, it's tricky, but I'm going to say it anyway, is a true conversion for Jacob. But God is faithful to his promises. And God was not bothered by the fact that Jacob had grown up in dysfunction because he knew he was going to change his name. He knew that he was still going to take his offspring and do all the things that he said. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm trying to make this plain. We get caught up a lot of the time in works. And this puritanical influence that still kind of reeks and stinks in the church of America. And I say that because I know that God honored those pilgrims and those people who came from Europe to come here and start a new life. But there's some corruption that happened in the midst of that. Well, we don't really see the love of God in proper perspective. We don't really see the mercy of God. We don't truly see the sovereignty of God. 
what we will say is that, well, God is God and he does what he wants. And that's punctuated with, well, I'm going to be disappointed, but God is on the throne. Or that's punctuated with, well, you know, it may not turn out the way we expected or prayed or whatever. It's not said with hope or the conviction that a God who said he would do something is going to do it regardless of the human failures, regardless of the misunderstanding, regardless of the misappropriation, the mistreatment, the abuse, the theft, the enslavement. Come on, somebody. He's going to do what he said in spite of all of those things, in spite of the men who in their own power try to deny and dethrone him, but it's impossible. God is God. He said, I am the Lord. Behold, I am with you. We'll keep you wherever you go. We'll bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. So we who understand know that Jacob needed that word at that moment. He needed the exhortation and the comfort before stepping into a horrible 20 year reaping season with his mama's side of the family. (laughs) Because when he gets there, he meets the one he really wants, Rachel, but he has to serve for seven years, is promised her, gets her sister, is told, well, yeah, you can have her too in a week, but you got to serve me another seven years. And then when he says, as we went over in chapter 31, I'm ready to leave and take care of my family. I've been with you for 14 years. I need something of my own. He says, okay, well, you got six more years if you're going to do that with my cattle. If you could take the spot, and I'll do as you say, but it's going to be. So 20 years, two wives, two concubines or servant wives as the, the word calls them, 11 sons and one daughter later, he is still his uncle's slave. So when we get to, ver- <laughs> we get to chapter one, Jacob is fed up. Jacob is fed up. So Courtney. You might be asking, what in the world does this have to do with Joseph? I want to submit to you that, and the Bible says this, Joseph is the child of Jacob's old age. But what that really means is that he was the one that was born 14 years into this, when all of this came, all of this came, or not even 14, I don't know how old he was. I I believe he was a young child because it says when Jacob met Esau again, because they do come together again, it says that all of the children bowed and they name him by name. And then when they get to the end and they say, and then Rachel and Jacob bowed. I think the baby was too young to bow, but he was born. So let's say it was Jacob's birth. I'm sorry, Joseph's birth. He was the only child that saw the Jacob and the transformed Israel. All of those other ones, they were the sons and daughter, one daughter, of a slave who belonged to Laban 
When you're a slave, not even your children belong to you. And we know that. Those of us descended from, you know, that time, that era in history, we understand, we know the stories, we've seen the movies, we all have seen Roots, one version or the other. Your children don't belong to you when you're a slave. Amen. Okay, what if I told you I had a scripture for that too? Come with me back to 31. I'm setting this up because there's so much more that we could talk about Jacob, and we should talk more about Jacob, but I'm setting up this perspective so we can talk about Joseph. All right. Everybody with me there? All right. Amen. So when they have this showdown, look, you, you done, you done left. Okay. Wait, let's go back. Where do we want to go? Verse 28, Genesis 31, 28. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Then he even goes on to say, down in here, and you can read it later, everything you got with you belongs to me. You basically, you stole my family. You even, you even stole my gods. Because Rachel took the gods. Jacob didn't know it. She took her daddy's idols with them when they fled. But Laban considered these his children. And I'm going to tell you, even though Jacob was a high ranking servant and had, you know, people serving with him and serving under him, as you can see, he, he, he's leaving not just with his family, but he's leaving with some servants, too. But all of that still belonged to Laban. It didn't belong to him. So I would even submit to you that from the perspective of the children, they honored Laban more than they honored Jacob as a father, as a patriarch. They were really the children of Laban because their dad was not empowered to be a leader or a provider in that land. <coughs> they saw their dad as a laborer. They saw their dad being tricked. They saw their dad being pulled between the two main wives. They saw their dad being told to lay with the, the servants. And no, and, but no doubt, they probably also observed their dad being favored by God and, and all of this abundance coming to his hands. But at the end of the day, it belonged to Laban, not to Jacob. So the influence of a father, the authority of a father... I don't believe these children had that for Jacob, not like Joseph did. Because Joseph knew a different Jacob. And Joseph really remembers being fathered by Israel. That's the one he really remembers. Because he was an infant to toddler when his name was changed. So this is what I want to say. The 11th son the 12th child, the 11th son, was able to see a different side of Jacob in his most formative early years. Joseph was fathered and favored by the Jacob who fought for freedom. He was fathered and favored by the Israel who lived in freedom. 
he was able to witness the transition, even though he was so young, he may not have remembered that. It was such an impactful moment. You know, everybody's talking about how daddy got his limp. Okay. And the others, though they were older, they still had a chance to see all of those things. But they grew up in a family of tricksters led by the chief trickster. So Joseph was positioned to be different and favored. The conditions were right for him to be different. By the time Joseph came along, it was Uncle Esau. Not, oh, yeah, daddy had to run away from them. He was going to kill him because daddy stole his brother. Oh, you know what daddy did? Papa was a rolling stone. Okay. Not, we're not, I mean... The context doesn't really apply, but you know what I'm saying? Just them talking about what daddy did. The rumors that go around in the family. Y'all know how that is. You know how you can have rumors in an immediate family? You know what daddy, let me tell you about your daddy. My sister, she, she has me hollering, but she tells all of Facebook. She chronicles, you know, my dad. The, the only thing funnier than my dad as he was when we were growing up is my dad as a senior citizen. And apparently, um, everyone who follows my sister loves hearing about what Bob Scott did this time. But there's some times where she'll text us, let me tell you about your daddy. And then we're talking about, oh, mama did this. Oh, you know, you got to do, you know, there is that, you know, and, and it's not, I don't really want to say it's gossip, but you know how it is in the house, in the immediate family, or even, you know, those of us who have closer knit, more expanded families with the cousins. Oh, you know, you know what he did. You have close proximity such close proximity growing up together, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly, you feel entitled to be able to talk about it. So they knew some things, but Joseph experienced a different side of their father. And I think that was one of the keys, definitely by, by God's design, I believe, for what was coming next for him. The other thing that made Joseph different is that as a child, he experienced Isaac as a grandfather. The other ones experienced Laban. He grew up with Isaac. Maybe not so much in close proximity, but there was healing. There was a different family dynamic by this point. He knows a childhood where the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is taught and received and worshiped, not the idols that Rachel stole on their way from fleeing Laban. Joseph grew up in the way of faith raised by a wiser father who was transformed by what happened to him in his life. Because the fact of the matter is, Jacob really, really struggled. He had it hard. I think if he were to go back to that moment where he made that pot of lentil stew and ask his brother for the birthright, if he could have gone back and told his mother, mom, I don't think we should do that. Because those moments of trying to set himself up to work out what God already had in mind to do cost him 20 years of suffering. So these are the points that I want to leave with you as we close for today. So much more to say here, but this really is probably like in itself an introduction. But so a few points before we close. It matters who you are when your environment changes. It matters who you are when you are treated unfairly. It matters who you were raised by. 
And it matters who you are when you're raising yours. It matters who you are raised by. God in his mercy will create the circumstances for you to flourish in spite of natural earthly parental figures who don't do right. God in his mercy will do what needs to be done so that you don't have to suffer because of things that you cannot control. God in his mercy will provide spiritual or supernatural means of mentorship and discipleship so that you can do what you're supposed to do instead of carrying the wounds of people who have done you wrong. So when you find yourself planted in the wrong garden, if you think you grew up in the wrong family, if you think you're <laughs> working in the wrong field, literal and figurative, if you feel like you're in the wrong environment, I want to encourage you today that there is a true vine. PD talked about fruitfulness and being connected to God. The connection that you have to God trumps every other connection in your life. Even to the ones that were not fruitful, even to the ones that were destructive, even to the ones that misled you and misdirected you. But all along, God has a plan. So it matters who you were raised by, but God is still God and he's still going to do what he said he would do. But it also matters who you, who are parents now, who you are as you're raising your children. Are you in the Jacob trickster phase of your life? Raising some hellions who don't even listen to you? Working, working, working day and night for the man who happens to be your father-in-law? That might be quite too literal, but the main thing I'm saying is, are you parenting from a place of transformation? Are you, are you parenting from a place of your wounded and wicked past? Because just like it matters who raised you, it matters who you are as you're raising those who come after you. And yet God, who is still God, will do what he said. You will reap what you sow. Your character and your actions will have genera generational impact. Your character and your actions have generational impact. And yet God is still God and his will will be done. He's going to do it with you on board or without you on board, but he's still going to do what he said he would do. So even Jacob, named trickster, ultimately walking in that, God still visits him in a dream when he's fleeing. Even in the midst of being tricked and reaping what he sowed, God gives him a dream and lets him know that he is with him. 
And the last thing I want to say is this. He gave Laban a dream too. And then I'm going to close for today this long introduction of a sermon. If we go back to Genesis 31 where we started, When you got it, say, I got it. Anybody find it before me? I've lost. Verse 24. Well, let's start at 22. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean. He, God came to Laban, the Aramean. God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now, he didn't really obey because he said a whole lot, but he didn't hurt him. He didn't hurt him. So here is God who in his wisdom knows that Jacob is the father of the dreamer, Joseph giving dreams to Jacob, giving dreams to Laban, setting up the scene, setting up a story where here comes the dreamer who goes from telling what he's seen to falling into a pit and being delivered into slavery. So we'll continue with that the next time I'm before you. Let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you that you are merciful, that your word is true, that your promises are sure, and that you don't change. And no matter where we find ourselves here in life, that which you have spoken shall come to pass. Your mercy has protected us, has kept us. You have been good to us in spite of the things that we have done and in spite of the things that have been done to us. God, we thank you for a true understanding of your sovereignty, for a true understanding of your mercy and of the power and the final authority of your word. Lord, we say that it is well with us because we are your children. You are a fatherless to the father. You are a father to the fatherless. You are a good father. You are faithful even to the generations. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be your people and for you making yourself our father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Whew. So we, are talk, we were talking about the dream of a father, the dreams of a father. That's where we started. But I want to tell you about the father, the father of fathers, the one who gave dreams to these dreamers, to the, righteous, the unrighteous dreamers and to the righteous dreamer, Joseph and, and, and others um, in history. But... The dream 
for everyone who knows God and is called by God is eternal life. That's the greatest dream that we could have. So today, I want to invite those who don't know the giver of dreams, the father to the fatherless, to get to know him and to put yourself in a place where God's mercy can protect you in spite of where you may have found yourself or started out. So I want to offer, if there's anyone here who does not know the Lord, if you would allow us to pray with you, and we would be so honored to lead you um, into the harbor of heaven where and you, and you and into new life with him, into new dreams. Is there one? All right, well, we're going to pray just in case there are those online um, who need to open their mouths to the Lord. We're just going to pray. We're going to pray with you. So we'll bow our heads and pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God. And I believe with all my heart that you are the Lord. Lord, I thank you for coming into my heart and coming into my life. And I open my mouth right now to confess you as my Lord. Jesus, have your way in me. And I will live for you in Jesus name. Amen. Hallelujah. If you said that prayer and you mean it, then you are born again. And we are so excited to get you on track and on course for a new dream, a new focus for a hope and a future. So we hope you'll let us know that you made that commitment to the Lord. Contact us and let us know, and we'll be happy to pray with you and direct you to a place where um, you can go to church if you don't live anywhere around here. If you need a place to come, this is an awesome place to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 1854, Birth Amboy, New Jersey 08862. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email. The address is partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to his word. Until next time, God bless you.